us, Tessa and Kenneth, and you're listening to 101.5 UMFN. Today on our show, we'll be interviewing a very special guest. Her name is DJ Mama Cutsworth. She's getting ready to open for Boney M in December. She also just finished one of her amazing programs, which is her DJ Academy for Women and Non-Binary People. They had a show last Saturday at the Goodwill, which was amazing. Uh, Congratulations on that, Uh, Mama Cutsworth. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Kenneth. All right. So one of our first questions that we were wondering is, when did you first start DJing? Well, um, in the early 2000s. And then I was a record collector for a long time and started just like practicing in my basement and then became a professional DJ in 2004. Oh, cool. Okay. So who inspires you as a DJ? Oh, great question. Um, I'm going to go very classic, and I'm going to go with Spinderella, who was the DJ of salt and Peppa, uh, mostly just because uh, she's been doing it for a long time. She still performs. She's been doing it for decades. And she was also DJing in an era where there was not a lot of women who were working as DJs. So uh, I really look up to her as a DJ. So, Mama, how did your name come about? It's great. I'm into this. Everyone's good. Uh, kind of two backstories. One, the mama part. Um, I wanted to use an, a name that indicated I was a woman. Uh, at the time in 2004, there wasn't a lot of that. And so I wanted for, if you saw my name on a poster, to know that it was a woman performing, not just DJ Cutsworth. And I chose mama as the front end of the name because of a reference to another woman I really admire, which is a a blues artist named Big Mama Thornton, who maybe you've heard of, but she wrote the song uh, called Hound Dog, which Elvis Presley then made famous by kind of stealing from her and performing everywhere and making money off of it. Uh, And I really respected her for um, being a woman in a man's game, especially in the early uh, 20th century. So that was a shout out to her. And Cutsworth is just really actually stupid. Uh, It comes from the fact that my friend's grandpa's dog uh, was named Cuddy. And sometimes when the grandpa would get drunk, he would call him Sir Cutsworth. And I realized that Cutsworth is actually a really dope name for a DJ. uh, Because Cut has a couple different references in vinyl. And uh, I put the two together. There you go. That's actually pretty cool. (laughs) I think that's really funny. (laughs) How was it when you first started off? Like as a professional DJ? Yeah. Uh, I faced a lot of sexism for many, many years, and it was really difficult, to be honest. Um, There have been a few women here and there in town, in Winnipeg, that have been DJs, but um, I usually felt really alone uh, as a woman. And so often, for example, I'd play at a club and the staff would be like, oh, cool, girl DJ, I never saw a girl DJ. And I was like, well, first of all, I'm a woman. Uh, thanks a lot. And uh, and I always felt like this this total novelty. And um, I also had a lot of like harassment, um, really inappropriate things I cannot say on the radio um, that the like dude sound techs would say to me that were just terrible, like right before I would go on stage and make me feel crappy. And then also, uh, I'd walk in with DJ equipment, and people would assume I was the girlfriend of the DJ, even though there was no guy with me. Wow. And I was like, I'm holding the equipment. Really? Really? You think that I'm not the DJ? So a lot of that kind of garbage, really. It's changed, but it's, it was a tough start, for sure. So I read in an article from Noisy from Vice. Yep. Um, you said that the environment 
lacks respect, which makes it challenging for a workplace, particularly for women. So do you think the DJ environment has more respect now for female DJs than it did when you first started? Like yes and no. I, I mean, the average nightclub is not about respect uh, on average for anyone. It's not a respectful space. Uh, and so I actually am trying to actively work against that and create welcoming, active, inclusive spaces that are like respectful. Uh, so it's, I still think that like most people don't walk into a club and feel that they are being respected in general, yeah. right? Like that's not the space that you do that in. Um, but I want to change that and I'm happy to report that it's, it's getting there slowly, but it takes a lot of work to and community basically to change a space like that. That's why a space like Studio 393 is so important because you're the future people who are going to go out and party and you can still do that respectfully, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's like a, it's a slow, slow change, I think. With the restrictions that held you back as a female DJ, mm -hmm. what is some advice that you'd give to some other females that like to go down in this profession? Um, well, one, which is kind of funny to say, is to not only think of yourself as a female DJ, but just as a DJ. Um, it's kind of like one of the last jobs where we still put female in front of it. Like, it's kind of like if someone said, oh, a lady doctor or a female lawyer. It's like, yeah, sure, but I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer. So in some ways, it's also just important to claim your space in that world and not only identify as a subcategory. Sometimes it's important to talk about your gender or your race or whatever. But sometimes it's also like, I just want to be respected for the work that I do. Because I've often been told, like, I'm one of the best female DJs in the country. And I'm like, well, sure. But I, what I'd like to be is one of the best DJs in the country. So I don't like to have that always. So, so my advice would be to, um, you know, support, always lift up your sisters, so to speak, support them. But also don't only think of yourself in a framework of only being a female DJ. That, that would be my advice. So with respect to that, with how you said um, you like you branded yourself as, as Mama Cutsworth mm -hmm. um, be, because of the fact that there weren't many female DJs, um, would you rather that people like refer to you as a female DJ in hopes of encouraging more females to become DJs, or do you find it more harmful than helpful? No, it's still it's still helpful. Like I mean, the reason I wanted people to see that a woman was performing um, was to give inspiration also to young women to keep DJing. And, and we don't have gender parity in this um, world, like a lot of worlds. And um, so I think it's still helpful to be, you know, presented that way. It's just that occasionally, like what I was saying, where you, I feel like I'm in a separate class. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're a really good female DJ. It's like, well, I don't use my breasts to mix the records. Like, what's the, what, why are we talking about that right now? <laughs> so we know that you have been running a DJ academy for all women and non-binary folks. Because I wanted to change the environment in Winnipeg around who was DJing and who was represented behind the turntables. Um, uh, I felt really, like I mentioned, feel, felt really alone in the DJ community, like just in terms of being a woman. So I was complaining about it a lot to my husband, who's also a DJ. And he said, man, you should stop complaining and do something about it. And I said, that's a good point. 
Uh, I love you. And then, uh, so I thought, great, I'm going to make a specific class that's just um, to create women DJs. Uh, and then a couple years into the program, I realized that I also wanted to expand that to people who are non-binary gender, um, because that's, a, that's another group that is underrepresented. Um, I can define that if that is a phrase that needs defining. Yeah, so non-binary is someone who doesn't feel female or male particularly, and so they're m more like fluidly uh, either in between or maybe they don't feel like either. So in that case, for example, you would use pronouns instead of he or she, you would say they. So uh, we opened it up to non-binary people too because it's a group of people that also don't have a lot of representation in, um, in DJing. So, uh, yeah, so I did it with a very specific intention to change the community of DJs here and to add and to grow that community. Um, yeah, that's why I did it. How did you start up the DJ Academy? Did you have connections? Did your friends support you? or It was all me. All you? Yeah, so I had done teaching before. Um, I have done some drop-in classes at graffiti gallery maybe you've heard of it <laughs> uh, and different youth programming across the city I used to do a lot of youth after-school drop-in classes so I was used to teaching and um, so I just like rented a space brought my own DJ equipment wrote my own course outline uh, put out the call for students to register and then created a class and taught them and then we did a, a recital after the first one uh, where the students would show off their new um, tricks and skills to their friends and family. And it was such a success that now every time we have a season of school, we always end with a recital. And it's the, one of my favorite nights of the year is the DJ Academy recital. It's great. It was really fun. You can yeah. be any age. You just need your mom to get in <laughs> if you're underage. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we, uh, it's, it was a special night. So, Tessa, you did great. You, you were one of the students. You graduated A+. Plus. Proud moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, how was it at the beginning compared to now? Uh, it, I mean, I feel like I've gotten better as a teacher. I've taught this same course now ten times in um, six years, over the course of six years. So I feel like my students get more out of it. And uh, now the thing that's really cool is we have all of the people who have graduated are now forming a big community. Cause like the first season or two of students, no one really knew each other, but now there's over a hundred people who've graduated. And so they're helping each other, supporting each other. They're, they nerd out about music and equipment and uh, so now we have a community, and so the earliest graduates from 2012 are mentoring the newest graduates. So that's also really cool. Is like I don't have to be the only mentor. I don't want to be. I want this to be a democracy of like teaching and sharing, and that's what's happening now. So that's the biggest change is that there's other people now mentoring and sharing, and it's really cool. So what direction do you find uh, the academy heading in the near future? Well. I think maybe something around the idea of this increased mentoring, I would like to help continue people to like learn how to teach. And also, uh, I'd like to create a network, like almost like a, like a formal uh, 
I don't know what to call it, but like directory of DJs and staying connected with one another. And um, and now right now my focus is to uh, in teach the more advanced topics because right now I've been doing a lot of beginner stuff. Like if you've never put your hands on turntables, that's okay. Come down, try it out. I'll show you how to do a baby scratch. I'll show you how to like beat match. But I want to show more advanced techniques uh, or also support people who want to become professionals and like how do you get there? Because this isn't just a class. Like you could come just for fun, but if you want to be mentored into becoming a professional DJ, I will do that. I want to show people how to like get on stage and not just like a, I don't know, yoga class where you just like have some fun. I want this to be like a, like you could take this and change your life with it. Uh, when will you be opening up again? Um, so I hadn't mentioned this yet, but I've stopped uh, admitting new students for the time being. Um, maybe like a year or so. Um, I'm just taking a pause on the beginner course because I want to um, take the next year to focus on advanced topics. So we're going to splinter off into different groups who want to learn stuff like how to DJ with just vinyl, which is a lot different than laptops and controllers. We're going to split off into learning how to DJ weddings and socials because that is a whole other beast uh, compared to like a one hour set at a hip hop show. Um, how to like do really technical stuff. Um, so we're just going to break off into groups and focus for the year. And then hopefully in a year, I'll bring new students on again. Um, if you don't fall under the outline of non-binary or female, mm -hmm. uh, is there any way you could still uh, enroll in this program? Uh, I mean, if you mean specifically like a young man like yourself, um, I wouldn't do it within this academy's uh, umbrella, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't support you into becoming a DJ because I would. Also, 100%. Oh, sorry. also from the first year, um, you think you've changed the course outline coming to the sixth year? Uh, I think it's I've finessed it and I've created more opportunities for people to have more hands-on, meaningful learning experiences. But the the main structure of the course is the same because the building blocks of becoming a DJ are still the same. Um, that's what I think, anyways. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to 101.5 UMFM. Uh, Sarah, I know that you created this space uh, for people to have um, a safe a safe place to practice their craft mm -hmm. and uh, feel like they're being supported and community is very important and I feel like a lot of us here at Studio feel like that as well with Studio 393. Uh, I guess my question is, did you have anything like this when you were growing up, like in terms of any programs or anyone that like supported you in your DJ career or? Not in DJing at all. Like, I mean, I had people who supported me but I didn't have a specific space like that. There wasn't a DJ school. Um, I m came across other DJs in the hip hop community that were really supportive uh, and would encourage me to like save up money to buy my first turntables and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't have a model for a way of learning as a group or learning in a community. It just wasn't here yet, I think. So I still had a community um, through uh, radio, uh, through music, the rap community, there was lots of great people that supported me, but it wasn't quite the same as a devoted learning space kind of community. 
cool. So, Sarah, we have heard a lot about your work that you have done in the present. Mm-hmm. We would like to get to know you more as a person. So, my question for you is, when you were young, because um, I'm just elaborating on, our current y- uh, generation, like the younger ones, struggle with having to find out what they want to do when they grow up and, you know, the pressures that come along with it. So my question for you is, when you were young, did you stumble upon those type of pressures, like whether it be from family or just personal or, you know, whatnot? Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, I didn't think I was going to be a DJ from the start. I've always really loved the performing arts. I always wanted to be like a singer or an actor. I love dancing, you know, just being on stage. Um, but then, of course, there's the classic like academic pressures. So I went to university. Um, I studied science. I loved science. Then I switched and I studied literature. Uh, and then I ended up working in radio. Like I, I've had a really wide, like my resume is very long with a lot of different stuff on it because uh, there was music was always there somehow, but not always as my real profession. And then it was really only after losing my job as a radio producer at CBC in 2009 that I was like, I'm going to go 100% in on DJing. I'd been doing it in the background. And then I was like, okay, I'm unemployed. This is my chance to go hard and like risk it and be a DJ like day and night. So that's been now for the last nine years. But I never predicted it, you know? And it, I was able to take the what I learned from having pressure, um, like the way to like stay on your toes, to work hard, um, and use that as a to become a successful self-employed artist, right? So, in some ways, that pressure was good. You know, pressure makes a diamond. So, <laughs> um, as you said, you didn't really have any programs like Studio Three Nine Three to help you enhance your skills yeah so how did you get your hands on dj equipment when you're well first i bought these really cheap bad turntables from a garage sale that are called belt drive turntables so the they spin using a basically like a giant rubber band underneath um that rotates it like a like washing machines sort of have that also, like just like a big elastic that rotates it. But those elastics can dry out or fall off and crack. Um, and they don't really work for scratching. So I bought two of those and I bought like a really bad, tiny little Newmark mixer for 50 bucks off some kid. I bought it in a back lane. And I just used my cheap records that I got at a secondhand shop and just tried really hard. And then wanted to save up for the other kind of turntable which is called direct drive and it uses magnetic force to rotate so it never wears out the way the elastic bands do and that's those are the ones that professional djs use so i just saved up and saved up and saved up and saved up like for so long and bought like a very high-end pair of turntables that are still my turntables i use actually i still use my original turntables because they are my babies and i treat them with care um so it was like not impossible to get them but i knew that that was what i wanted to work towards and that's what i was going to save for and make happen so mama what do you do outside of djing honestly not a lot only in what i mean is because i'm self-employed one woman dj business 
so much of my life is somehow related to the music and playing it. So, like, whether that's, like, um, discovering new music, I get to tour a lot, which I'm really lucky and fortunate, um, but it's with this whole other project that's a theater show, but I DJ in the theater show. So, for example, that's, like, something that's really unusual for the average DJ, but is, like, a very cool side part of my life. Uh, and then, of course, teaching takes up a lot of time. So I don't have another job. I am a full-time DJ, which I'm happy and lucky to say. Uh, but for kicks, I love cooking. I love gardening. I train my cat how to do tricks like a dog. Uh, I try to be there for my friends and support them. And um, I don't know, just you know, be a community member, whatever that might mean day to day. So what is the criteria for a successful DJ? So if you mean like uh, someone who becomes uh, either like pretty well known or who can make money off of DJing, I would say my criteria for that is someone who can hustle, someone who can stand up for themselves. So for example, like a lot of people try to offer DJs really terrible pay and you have to negotiate and stand up for what you believe you should be paid for fairly, as an example. Um, another thing is being yourself, which sounds obvious, but the more genuine you are as a performer, the more fans you will get because they'll genuinely see like who you are on the inside. If you're just posing all the time, you're, I don't think it makes for a successful DJ. Uh, also, stuff like money smarts, business smarts, being able to keep track of your calendar, being responsible, like literally showing up to gigs on time will make you a, a more successful DJ because your reputation will always precede you. So if you're known as someone who uh, just like doesn't show up for stuff, doesn't come on time, doesn't come prepared, that will haunt your career. So that kind of basic like professionalism is really important. Um, so, Because that's how I would define success, right? In this particular case is like making it your profession. So, yeah. So what would you say the criteria is for being a talented DJ? Right, two different things. Yeah. So the criteria for me for that is hours and hours of practice, uh, finding your uh, music that you really love, like deep, the one thing I can't teach people is how to be passionate about music. So that's the thing that you do need as a quality is to be like to care deeply for some kind of music, whether that's, you know, mainstream or a super underground weirdo stuff, like love it. Um, and then practice it, practice with it all the time and never stop learning. Cause like the thing is I've been DJing for 14 years professionally, but I know I can keep getting better and I want to keep getting better and I want to keep learning because I'm not at the top of the heap and there is no heap really. It's just a, a, a figment of imagination. So to keep climbing, to keep learning and to keep sharing is what's going to make you more talented in my opinion. Um, what is the music that you, uh, well, okay, so I like a lot of different kinds of music. I'm really known, actually, for playing a really wide variety of music. I love 
anything from like 60s Motown and Soul to um, funk, house music, disco music, hip hop. Um, I love a lot of Latin American music. So that can be also kind of all over the place. It could be like champeta music, which is sort of this like Colombian kind of stuff. How much do you charge people for events? A million dollars. Oh, same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really varies. So it could be, for example, a really big event like the Olympics. It's going to have a way bigger budget. Um, and uh, sometimes I play for free if it's a cause that I really care about and it's like a fundraising event. So I've earned everything <laughs> in between. You know what I mean? Like, So sometimes it's zero dollars like i'm donating my time sometimes it's like a thousand bucks or whatever like it really depends yeah okay thank you yeah of course do you believe that someone who's djing in 2018 could whether skill wise or in terms of their the path of their career do you think it'd be possible to surpass someone who may have inspired you back in the day like one of the legends or the greats that you were referring to uh it's totally possible i mean the human human nature is to keep advancing right and to keep aiming higher so it, it depends on what we think of as success you know 20 years from now or whatever uh like does that just mean making more money than someone made 30 years ago because i mean a lot of the greats that we're talking about never made very much money uh or they're just touring uh the same circuit over and over or whatever like success does can mean sometimes becoming a legend after you're gone even right like so everyone contributes differently um but like i think that uh just doing the best you can with what you've got is 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 the start of it so if you're a beginner how do you get gigs well i think that uh you start off by being hungry for any kind of experiences so i played a lot of house parties i would just volunteer i would like make my friends have parties so i could dj at them uh i would offer to play for free for like fundraisers and causes that were close to me stuff like that um and then for me i one of my greatest successful things i started doing was putting on my own parties and my own public events so uh, that's a lot different than cold calling a promoter at a club and being like, yo, here's my card, I'm really good. Blah. Like that, they, whatever, no one cares about that. But if you put on uh, your own parties, uh, even if they're really small, really underground, whatever, that's a really good way to like create a space that's like, this is the music I love, this is my audience. And um, uh, the last thing I would say is also, uh, I got really involved in radio, and so like being involved at places like CKW and UMFM are really good ways to like meet other people, and, like practice DJing, and and like get really nerd out with music. So that kind of ex those experiences can help you when you're just starting. Like those Fridays at the Ledge that you were talking about. Fridays at the Legion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's a new thing too. But that's for um, a once a month thing we call Casual Fridays. And that's for the graduates of the DJ program. So um, we do that once a month, and we just have, like, a different crew of DJs perform. And uh, that's just in the Osborne Village, and it's really fun. That's a great way to learn, too. Awesome. 
Thank you. My pleasure. Um, where can we find you on Instagram or any social media? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Mama Cutsworth. And um, that's spelled M-A-M-A-C-U-T-S-W-O-R-T-H. Uh, and also Facebook, you can just search for Mama Cutsworth. Do you have any gigs coming up? Yeah, I always have gigs coming up. Uh, one that I think Kenneth mentioned at the very top is uh, my hilarious fun time of opening for Boney M uh, <laughs> in December. They're coming twice and doing like a Christmas show, uh, which I think will be hilarious and fun um, because it's Boney M. Um, who even knows? It's going to be great. Uh, and I, people can also go to my website. It's mamacutsworth.com. Awesome. 